Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano, and I am here with the amazing Mariah of Mariah Create. Hi, Mariah. Hi. I'm like feeling very sentimental recording this right now. Um, I know. You guys, today, as we are recording, it is officially my due date. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> this baby hopefully will come at any moment. <laughs> yeah. So insane. Um, we decided to squeeze yeah. one more episode in. <laughs> yeah, we had to. Um, and this episode we're going to be doing is another book club. So it was really nice because uh, the past week I've been winding down and my mind has been going crazy. So having an audio book to listen to and take notes on was a delightful distraction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you're going to have a baby any minute now. I like every time my phone, I get a text from Jillian, like my heart immediately is like, oh, is he here? <laughs> I know. I know. It's so funny too, because like, obviously I've been trying to like pull out every trick in the book yeah, and induce labor and none of it has worked because it's just like, he'll come when he comes and yeah. that's just that. And uh, the other day I did eat enough spicy food to send my stomach into a spiral. <laughs> <laughs> And I realized quickly that was a mistake. <laughs> Took it too far. <laughs> Took it oh, way man. too far. Um, but yeah, everyone's been texting me and they're like, is he here yet? And I'm like, trust me, there I will be there will be planes riding in the sky when this baby comes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my my two thoughts are like, if Jillian and I, first of all, for those of you listening, we are texting, messaging, sending TikToks to each other 24-7, like literally we don't go I've, more than a few hours. So like, yeah, if I don't hear from Jillian for an extended period of time, like oh, maybe he's here, maybe I'm going to, and then like, and then I get a text. I'm like immediately jumping like to my phone. I'm yeah, I'm, we're all on edge here. We're all excited. <laughs> and it's usually just me being like, did you see this thing on TikTok? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I oh, know I sent it to you. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. Uh, yeah. So I love it. Last episode before Baby Mars, uh, we have another episode for this season, but uh, the last one we're physically recording, and yeah. yeah. So hopefully, you know, soon after you hear this episode, um, we'll have an announcement for you, but <laughs> yeah. I sure hope so. Yeah. Okay. I am actually really excited about this one, though, because when we, this is going to be another book club episode, FYI. Um, you may have known that when you clicked on the episode to listen to it. <laughs> We, I'm actually really excited about this one because um, I, the book that I'm going to talk about had been recommended to me so many times, like literally for years, so many times. And I just kept putting it off. And then of course I listened to it and was like, oh yeah, should have listened to this four years ago. Um, <laughs> and, and then um, Mariah, the book that you're talking about, I'm actually super fascinated because it's like very specific for like our subculture within like business and pricing and yeah. um and I just feel like there's not a ton of that out in the world so agreed yeah for sure I think so this book um the book I I I'm covering for this episode is the graphic artist guild handbook for pricing and ethical guidelines I have the 14th edition but it is very much in both physical size and struct and structure as well as readability it is very much a, re a reference guide. It's a textbook, right? So it's a big boy uh, book. It's like, I think, through almost 400 pages. Um, it has, you know, various chapters. So I'm going to kind of give an overview of different sections of the book. And then we will dive into a couple more specific things that I think are, you know, interesting to hear about. So um, this book 
who it's for, you know, it really covers a lot of like legal, contractual, and financial elements of being a graphic designer. And, you know, as stationary designers, we technically fall into this category in kind of our own specific little group. Um, and then, you know, depending on how much you do in-house, you kind of have to add on things like production and that kind of thing. Um, so it, it might be pretty straightforward for you if you are a stationary designer who outsources everything and just assembles. Like this is going to be pretty clear cut for you. Um, if you are like us where you <laughs> not only design everything, but you out, you outsource some, you do some in-house, et cetera, et cetera, it gets a little more complicated. Um, but I think no matter where you fall in that spectrum, this is a great source of information on things like copyrights and contracts, uh, what agreements you need to have in place, customs uh, related to like how you bill people and, you know, how you structure a job or a contract or a timing agreement. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in here that I think is really helpful. So um, I'm just going to dive right into it. So the first six chapters of this book cover all the things legal, technological, financial considerations, including things like uh, work for hire and your resale royalties, um, sales tax, pricing considerations like considering technology. We're talking about like AI here, uh, legal and ethical issues, the nature of being a graphic designer, deciding what to charge, when to call a lawyer, so on and so forth. This is actually really exciting, though. And I think we've talked about this in a previous book club episode where like, we're all kind of like learning as we go. Um, a lot of us started this journey because we got into like calligraphy or we were getting married. And like, I mean, you and I didn't do that. We got married way later. But there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of stationers out there who did their own wedding invitations, and then they get into it as a business. Yeah. And of very few of us actually have a business background. Mm -hmm. And what I love about all the things that you just listed is like, that's like a condensed NBA specifically for our field in like yeah. one textbook, which is incredible. That's for sure. Yeah. All, I think all the stuff that we end up paying other people like piecemeal, like we pay this person to figure out contracts and we pay this person to figure out this and we pay this person to figure out that. Well, we could just go buy a textbook and read yeah. about it and learn a little. hundred percent. And that's like exactly why I bought this book was because, cause I think it is like, I think it's like 40 or $50 or something like that. It's not like, you know, it's not like a $12 paperback yeah. off the shelf. It's a textbook. Yeah. So that is definitely why I bought this book was because it felt like it had a really great overview of all that legality stuff. That's really scary and also really expensive to actually get figured out legitimately. Like, so there's not really like an entry level way to get like the legality side of business kind of covered, right? Like it's all very like either you figure it out or you pay someone, you know, buco bucks to figure it out for you. And it's like, I think this was a really great reference for that. So um, yeah, the first section of this book is all about that. So like the actual section titles, literally chapter one is professional relationships. Um, so sources of illustration and design talent, um, illustrator professional like relationships. It's, it's, you know, kind of covering, I think that like dynamic of somebody hiring you to do this work kind of thing. Um, the second chapter is legal rights and issues. So copyright, work for hire, rights of celebrity and privacy, moral rights, resale royalties, all of that is covered. And there's several other pages in there. Um, and then professional issues like sales tax, deductibility of artwork, employment issues, cancellation and rejection or kill fees. Um, and then, you know, workplace changes, health issues, the labor market, um, the nature of the business, which I think is a really helpful chapter. Um, negotiating and evaluating the terms of an offer. And like all of these things are very much like bigger picture. You have to have a degree to get a lot of this stuff covered in depth. Um, so it's obviously an overview of those things, but I do think it's written in a way that makes it really clear to understand. Um, and, you know, that kind of stuff is just incredibly helpful if you don't have, a, you know, a degree in anything related to this. Um, yeah. And having that kind of knowledge just increases your amount of professionalism For that sure. you're bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, and you never know when that information might become relevant, you know? Um, so yeah. Yeah. Very, like very being able to let your client know, like, uh, I've had this happen. I've seen recently someone in a Facebook group also had it, um, similar situation. Our client brought to us a piece of fabric and was like, I want to use this pattern 
on my invitation somehow. And uh, knowing that mm-hmm. you can reach out to that company and get basically their sign off on creating a paper reproduction of it for an invitation suite, just like you can reach out to a sports team to get sign off on yeah. their logo or a building, a specific, like a, a specific yeah. um, business, they could give you sign off on using an illustration of their building. Um, like all that kind of stuff, knowing how to do that, yeah. how to approach it in a professional manner is going to benefit you um, versus risking just knocking it off or yeah. doing it anyway and <laughs> hoping that nobody finds out. Yeah. yeah, Which we see so much of on the yeah, internet. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is. And then like the, the sixth chapter. So that's kind of the end of this first section is, um, you know, covering things like the importance of contracts, different types of contracts you need to have, what a contract should include, negotiation, like before calling a lawyer, when to call a lawyer, <laughs> when things go wrong, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, all of these sections are incredibly helpful, especially like, I think a lot of, I think, you know, calling this a reference guide is really relevant because you're going to, you know, buy this book, you're going to probably flip through the things you think are relevant to you. And then later you're going to go, hmm. I don't know what I should do in this case. Like for me, it comes down to like, like I had a, somebody who wanted like a lettering job and that's not something I normally offer. It's not built into my standard pricing. I'm like, hmm, I think there's a section on lettering and type and typefaces in this book. Flip to it, you know, it gives you a clear example of, you know, what kind of things you need to figure out as far as usage um, and delivery and all of that. And then it has pricing examples. So it, it is very much a reference guide and, it's, you know, got a lot of other information in here, but very much of like something to have on your bookshelf for when you need it. Um, so the middle portion of this book covers trade practices and gives really specific pricing information um, and industry information based on your specific discipline. So whether you're a branding designer or uh, you do cartoon designs um, or if you're illustrating things for packaging or illustrating things for greeting cards or the medical field, there are subcategories of a ton of those, uh, including like web design, animation, um, all of that. There isn't really a specific stationary section. That is the one thing I will say. There's greeting cards for like actually designing them for companies. Like if Target reached out and said, we want to use your artwork for a greeting card, that kind of thing. Um, There is a section for, you know, all kinds of different design categories. I think there's some relevant stuff like, um, uh, like collateral design, I think is really relevant to what we're doing in stationary, Um, you know, designing a business card, basically same concept uh, as some other stuff. So I think there's some things you can kind of translate into stationary design specific, but overall, it's really like it's super relevant if you fall into one of those categories exactly, but also gives you really good examples and breaks down how you would invoice these types of jobs that you can apply to whatever industry or whatever specific niche of design you're in. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> not a station. Maybe the next edition will have a stationary or like a wedding stationary section. If, if they don't if they don't hit that market, they are missing out. <laughs> I there's so many things and it's so funny because it's like even when you're going to file for like your legal business or you're like getting insurance or whatever like our what we do is nowhere to be found like whenever there is a drop down box and it's like select what your business does nothing is close nothing is close I always end up if anything it's like arts and entertainment (laughs) and you'd be lucky to find graphic design but yeah even like a lot of stuff like this like nobody ever thinks of wedding stationery which is so funny because it is probably one of the biggest markets yeah and I know that there's currently a 16th edition out I have the 14th so I don't know how much has changed in the next two editions um but I imagine it does change as I mean I even in this book there's a foreword that's talking about like you know, since the last edition, so much has changed. I'm like, well, I'm sure that happens every single edition because this field is constantly evolving um, with the growth of so many different companies, both yeah. tech and like, you know, product based businesses and everything. So I think and the economy and with AI. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And the economy and all of that. So I do think it's, um, you know, the newer editions are probably, you know, going to have some extra things and some updated things that are different than what I have. But, um, you know, it's still helpful to see this stuff. Um, 
And then the final section of the book consists of, I think, arguably one of the most valuable parts of the book is it's going to have sample forms and contracts and then a glossary of terms as well. Um, there's also like a section with resources and other references like publications, industry directories, um, things like that. Um, but I thought the contracts and form section was really helpful, especially when you're first starting out and kind of like we touched on, you know, when you can't really afford to hire a lawyer to make your own custom ones or even maybe templates, you know, yet, or if there isn't a specific one out there that works for you personally in your business. Um, there's like an example cease and desist. There's non-disclosure agreement. There's a non-competition clause. There's examples of different types of invoices. Um, there's examples of estimate and confirmation forms, release forms for models, if you're a photographer, all kinds of things. So um, I think that's, you know, definitely a large section of this book that's really valuable to everyone. And even if you have a contract in place, it's good to, you know, add specific clauses on or make modifications that suit your for your business specifically if you're using a template, especially things like that. So, um, yeah, I think there's one chapter I kind of want to go through together, and that's just just briefly, and that's the essential business practices chapter. I kind of mentioned it. Um, it's the one with like the nature of the business, negotiating, deciding what to charge, all of that. So yeah. um, I'm going to flip to that page real quick. I did. Did I put? I oh, think there's I'll send a photo you a photo if you want so you can see it too. Oh, okay. I think that's another one. Let me see. Hold on. While you're flipping to pages, I'm just going to read the um, the 16th edition guidelines, uh, just sort of the summary of the updated features. So it says yeah. more in-depth information for the self-employed on how to price work and make a sustainable living. That's amazing. Yep. There we go. A new chapter on using skills and talents to maximize income with multiple revenue streams, such as workshops, videos, niche markets, passion projects, selling art. Uh, dope. Love. Love that. Uh, yeah. Cur yeah, same. Current U.S. salary information and freelance rates by discipline, pricing guidelines for buyers and sellers, up-to-date copyright registration information model contracts and forms to adapt to your specific needs and interviews with 11 self-employed graphic artists who have created successful careers using many of the practices found in the handbook. Love. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, and it's the same price. The, um, the 16th edition is also uh, $44.95 uh, to get the paperback or $35.99 to get the Kindle off of Amazon. And of course, we'll link all of that in the uh, show yeah, notes. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, there's going to be some much more, I think, relevant to this current day information in there. I don't know the, the year for the no. 2014 one. Um, I, know 20, I know the 13th one was 2010. Yeah, I feel like this so is 2013 or 2014. Yeah. Uh, the um, cover is just so darling. On This the... one says 2013. So 10 years is a big difference. So even if they did one in between, which was the would have been the 15th edition, that's, you know, that's a big difference. So especially as far as technology has concerned um, and the cost of living. <laughs> and the cost of, yeah, yeah. the economy. Uh, we went through a whole pandemic between now Literally. and then. So. We went through a pandemic and like seven more years <laughs> beyond that. Um <laughs> yeah, which is that's terrifying to think about 2013 versus today is very different okay so this okay. section you know starts with the nature of the business which talks about like the artist client relationship collaborative relationships um and kind of tools and, and tips to navigate those which i think is really great um it also talks about negotiating and evaluating like the terms of an offer and that is it does cover both kind of like sides of that. So whether you're being offered something or if you as an artist are putting together an offer for a client. Um, so it kind of covers both of those. And then, you know, there are sections on positioning yourself as an expert and pre preparing to negotiate, which includes things like researching the client, which is something that you might forget about, you know, um, determine your requirements, like what you need to take on this job or what you need from them to complete the job, um, determining what they need and how you can help them and, you know, how best to serve them, um, establishing like your own rules of thumb. And, you know, like, what did your previous clients like cost you? Are they like, is that a good price based on what the previous jobs cost that makes sense for your current business? Um, and then dealing with common tactics like intimidation, limited authority, phony, like legitimacy, uh, the carrot on a stick, the person who's dangling the carrot, you know, but never really commits or whatever, which I think is all really fun to like look through and really helpful 
um, to just kind of have those tips and, you know, kind of some like support almost, I feel like. Um, and then it has like special issues with phone calls and meetings, which I think is really important. Like literally how to structure your phone calls and meetings, discuss money last, um, don't cut deliverables to meet the client's budget, don't give away anything for free, that kind of thing. Like it, it literally is walking you through like how to operate, which is really, I think, incredible. Um, and there are some yeah. of those things that, you know, a lot of us have learned through trial and experience. And, you know, we see some of those exact scenarios on Facebook groups um, and like how to cut dyes with a client that isn't going to work out, knowing when to stop, um, when negotiation fails, you know, like it's all of those things that you kind of need somebody to tell you, what do I do in this scenario? Or you want somebody's advice. This is a really great place to kind of look. Then it dives into, you know, deciding what to charge, which it gives you like formulas for per diem or day rates. It gives you formulas for coming up with an hourly rate. It gives you considerations like cost of living fluctuations, um, you know, billable expenses, other considerations like cancellation fees or rejection fees, um, giving a client a credit line, uh, samples of your work, liability perfor like for portfolios. It's covering so much stuff in depth. Um, it also covers keeping track. So tracking your expenses, record keeping for all your jobs, um, your original agreements, any updates, all of that stuff, um, talking about billing procedures and sales tax, um, getting paid, you know, working with checks, tracking invoices, that kind of thing. So this feels like a huge section. Like if you were purchasing this book, you'd probably read this in depth. You know, there are certain sections like you probably, I'm not going to really read the cartoon illustration section because <laughs> that is not something I see myself ever doing. Um, mm -hmm. You never know, I guess. Never say never. If I ever do, I know where to look, right? But I think something like this section, you're going to probably want to read like front to back. You know, you're going to want to read through all these things because all this information could one day be relevant. Um, you know, not every chapter in this book is that way, but I would say that these sections are incredibly valuable. Um, and you'd probably want to like actually sit down and dedicate some time to these, uh, these chapters. Um, and you know, like we talked about earlier, this is something that you wouldn't necessarily just learn out there in the real world, just on your own. Um, whether you went to college for something else or you didn't go to college at all, or you're completely self-taught and your career was previously something completely unrelated to graphic design, you know, where would you learn these? Like these types of things are stuff that you don't just like pick up necessarily working a regular job. Um, so I think it's great to have like a confirmant, like a concrete base to start on. And then from there you can, you know, know what else you need to find out, know where to go to find that information and so on. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it's a really comforting thing that like, books like this exist because I feel like we see them for business in general a lot like the one I'm going to talk mm -hmm. about um but rarely does that fully help us like even the workbook section of the book that I was reading you know one day I want to do like a little group thing with all of our listeners if they want to tune in but like where we would figure out like okay what number what category number would we plug in here? Because it's so different for us. Like everything is so different yeah. for us. So um, a lot of this stuff is nail on the head, even if they're not talking specifically about wedding stationery, they are talking about being a graphic designer. And that's exactly what we exactly. are. And like, yeah, like, I mean, like you're saying is even if this doesn't apply to all of what we do, it applies to at mm -hmm. least a big chunk of it, like a huge portion of what we yeah. do is our design, right? And that is our heart and soul made into this client project. So I think as long yeah. as you're covering that, you know, the production and stuff and buying the supplies is all a little more straightforward anyway, because there's a physical, you know, tangible item with a receipt attached, you know, it's, it's a different thing. Yeah. So I think this really covers a lot of that gray area, um, which is, yeah. is what I appreciate about it. It is so funny because it's like the tangible stuff is the stuff that there is information out there mm -hmm. on. Like you can figure out how much you're supposed to charge for cost of goods sold. Like yeah. you, there are formulas for that. This, the design part is one, usually the part that we're so willing to like negate or discount or whatever. And two, the part that like everyone's like, how do I figure out my 
you know, hourly rate? Or how do I figure out if this is a thing I'm licensing to my client or not? Yes, exactly. Um, or they they asked me for XYZ. Do I give it to them? Yeah. And of course, we have these amazing communities online, but it's also just nice and reassuring to be like, here is a literal textbook that is going to back up the things that, you know, the people in the Facebook group might even be for sure. I completely agree. And yeah, it's like, I mean, the design fee is always the hardest part to come up with, right? Like we can figure out the cost of goods and mark up the, you know, retail items, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's that design fee that always gets us. And I think it also removes a little bit of that, like personal sense of worth or personal, like assigned value by giving you a number as well, which is incredible uh, for those of us who are designers. Like it says, here is a standard industry standard for this type of project. And you're like, oh God, I was only charging like a third of that. You can be like, well, you know, actually, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's, yeah. that takes away a little bit of that personal like debate as well. And hopefully helps you charge a little more um, or at least a fair price. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So the next one I want to jump to just real quick, I, because I think it's pretty relevant to, you know, what we're doing is the greeting card design, which is, I put a photo in there for this one, Jillian. So if you look at some of the info, they obviously give you like a chart, which has like different usages and then like flat fees, advances, royalties, that kind of thing. So this is concerning designing a greeting card or like a novelty card. So not necessarily stationary specific, right? But I do think it's interesting to look at because when we're looking at like a design fee, there's a flat fee for these specific things like a greeting card and they list it as $250 to $1,000 for a flat fee. Um, for In my opinion, that's for the design, right? So your design fee is going to be $250 to $1,000. And I think that right there mm-hmm. is what we're looking for, right? Like we're all so often looking for, yeah, but like what do you charge? <laughs> And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you know, every project is different and I have to like know the details before I can give you a quote. It's like, okay, but like, here's what you could charge for a default design fee for gift card, a greeting card or gift wrap or a mug or a t-shirt. You know, these things are literally yeah. listed out in a graph and a chart for you. Um, but also I would oh, say, so they have, they have consumer stationery on here and I would, I would say assume that's what they're referring to. Yeah falls into that like yeah like personal stationery um probably like business cards and stuff also would kind of fall into yeah. that but like yeah consumer stationery so the flat fee for that is 500 to 2000 and i i think that's spot on i, I think too. a yeah. lot of like the baseline design i mean obviously there are some designers who like they just have um more notoriety in the industry and so their design fee may be higher but that's more so because you're paying to work with them. Yeah. They have such a limited schedule and therefore when demand is high, exactly. You increase your price yeah. and everyone should do that. Yeah. But like for the standard baseline, 500 to 2000. Yeah, that sounds great. that sounds right to me. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think we both fall within that design fee and I think that a lot of designers yeah. listening will fall into that and you know, the ones who are above that more power to you. But um, I think that's really great to see. Also to see that $500 as the base, because so often, yeah. I think when I started, my design fee was like $200 or something insane. And yeah. It makes me cringe. Um, you know, so it's like, I think seeing that low end being 500 is like, hopefully going to be reassuring to some newer designers out there or some people who aren't charging as much. Um And what I think is great about this book, so this section is, you know, all of the sections are like this. So depending on what type of thing you're designing, whether it's packaging or doing brand design or web design, um, they're all going to have the same kind of chart with like a different, you know, structure based on what type of thing it is. So it might be like an hourly fee versus a per diem fee for web design. But then it also has interesting information about the industry itself um, and some tips and things like that. So this one, uh, for the industry overview for greeting cards, they give you like some design considerations based on the info they've gathered, right? So there are like 7 billion greeting cards purchased annually. About half of those are seasonal. And the most popular is Christmas with about 60% of those seasonal card purchases, um, which when you're designing or looking to get into the market for greeting card design, um, that's really valuable information to know. And it's super relevant to what you're going to make. 
um, under the tips of the trade section. It even talks about like most stores use racks that cover the bottom half or one third of the card. So put your design or the text or whatever is really important in the top half of that design. Um, and there are also, you know, most racks don't accommodate horizontal card designs. Most of them are built for, you know, vertical card designs. So consider that, you know, when you're designing. So even these little tidbits of information are really valuable, I think. Um, and again, things you wouldn't know unless you were already in that industry. So I think really great ways to kind of break into industries. There's even things like marketing uh, your designs for cards and novelties and things like that. So um, overall, the whole book is incredibly detailed. Um, when you find a section that you can kind of assign to what you do, like we just did with this greeting card section, um, I think it's going to be hands down one of the most valuable books to have just as an as a reference um, on your on your shelf. So yeah, that kind of covers I think everything I want to run through with it. Obviously, there's 395 more pages to cover. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, overall, just a huge valuable guide um, with everything you could possibly want to start with um, on just about anything design related. So I think for people, yeah. this would most be like, I think the most, the people who would value most, let me rephrase, the people who would get the most value from this book are, I think, stationary designers, lettering artists, uh, brand or web designers as well, because those have specific sections. Um, I think all of those people are going to love this book because there is something specifically dedicated to what you're doing in here. Um, lettering and typefaces yeah. is, is one of them as well. So yeah, if you're a lettering artist, definitely pick this up as well because the contracts, all of that stuff is completely relevant. So um, yeah, there you have it. Nice. Yay. Well, thank you. I'm a hundred percent ordering a copy. I know uh, the Jillian and I just need to start swapping books because <laughs> otherwise we're both going to have the same collection. <laughs> We need we need a shared library, a shared studio. Uh, we need to basically just live on a compound we, together. Yeah, we need to have like the two houses next to each other on a cul-de-sac or something. Um, yes. Yeah, that'd be so fun. Okay. All right. So my book is definitely business oriented in the sense that it like <laughs> it's just one of those classic business books that's not talking about graphic designers. But it is still really applicable because it's really just talking about like the financial structure and setup of your business. And so much of that is applicable to anyone who is exchanging product or service for money. Mm -hmm. um, so I am going to be covering Profit First and it has, hold on one second, it has like a longer name. So let's look up the whole name. <laughs> so the full title of it is... Profit first. Transform your business from a cash-eating monster to a money-making machine. I love it. <laughs> Sold. Yes, would like Sold. to do that. Thank you so much. Um, it's written by Mike Michalowicz, and he is an entrepreneur, author. Um, you could find a lot of TED Talks of him on YouTube. He sounds like every other freaking business guy out there, <laughs> which is one of the reasons I was like, I did this thing. This side note, I did this thing in like uh, 2018, from like 2018 to 2019, I was on such like a podcast, TED Talk, bingey, like it was gross how much of this information I was consuming hour by hour, day by day, because when I listen to stuff, I listen to it on 2x. So if it's a seven hour book, I'm crushing it in like what, three and a half. Mm -hmm. Um. And I would just keep going like all day long. I would do it on my car ride to work while I was at work on my car ride home while I'm home. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And I just got to the point where I, there is, there is an aura to people who um, give business advice or are coaches, different auras for those two, but still auras nonetheless, mm -hmm. that I just at one point was like, I cannot effing deal with these people anymore. <laughs> So that is one of the reasons I put off Profit First is because I had gotten to the point when it was first recommended to me, I was like, I literally can't listen to another business bro tell you me all. how to run yeah. my business. I hate you all. Um, but honestly, <laughs> I wish this was one of the first books I listened to. Oh, man. Because it just makes so much sense. Anyway, so Mike is totally a business bro, but like his entrepreneurial journey revolved around he started two different businesses and then he sold them off for like millions of dollars 
And um, he, I listened to the audiobook. I'm not a really great reader, so <laughs> I listened to the audiobook. And uh, does he read? He obviously okay, reads. Yeah, he reads it himself. And what's really fun about that is he puts in now some of the anecdotes are actually in the text, mm-hmm. but he puts in additional anecdotes from his own life um, into the audiobook, and uh, he talks about how after he sold his first business for like a couple million dollars, he went um, to like the Land Rover uh, fucking dealership and was like, I want the most expensive car you have on your lot. Didn't even care what it was. He just wanted like the most expensive one. And his wife looked at him like, what? Why? (laughs) Why? Even I know that's a bad uh, idea. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, So yeah, so one of the things about the book is that basically the profit first method, it's very concise. um, And this book is just walking you through like a different way of financially setting up your business. So the concept is concise. The execution of how to carry it through is very well explained. But a good majority of the book is just personal testimonies and analogies that will help you understand why this is a better method mm-hmm. of setting up your business and why pretty much the like old school thinking of business is like kind of detrimental. So um, the traditional views around business kind of get us stuck. And Mariah and I know this very well. It just gets us stuck in making sales to pay bills like we need to book a project so we could pay this thing or we need you know you're just kind of stuck on that hamster wheel uh situation yeah um and like I don't want to get too too into it because honestly Mike explains it like way better than I'm going to but basically the standard method of looking at how to financially set up a business is called the gap method of accounting. And that's revenue minus expenses equals profit. And uh, like everyone would just like, no, yeah. like if I said, Mariah, that's like, exactly. Yeah. How, I'm how like, do you even uh-huh, figure out your profit? You would be like <laughs> revenue minus expenses equals profit. Yeah. So, but then there becomes like this whole thing where whenever we make money, we, Basically, like we pay off bills or we pay off uh, certain things. We set aside money for ourselves or employees or whatever that is. And the very last thing we get to think about is the profit for the business. Mm -hmm. And um, he had this like really interesting like word thing where he was like, uh, I'm going to give you two sets of words and one is describing an angel and one is describing a devil. And then he was like, love, kindness, amazingness, hate, visceral. And then like, and then he said them backwards, visceral, hate, love, same exact words, just forward and backwards. And your brain like automatically puts more weight on the words that are in front of that sentence than in the back of the sentence. Even though he never said Focus on the first three. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But we just do that. So if you're thinking about your expenses and then you're thinking about like setting aside money for taxes and like all this stuff, the very last thing you're going to have is profit. And therefore, there's a huge chance that your business won't be making any profit. And one of my favorite analogies he used for that is when you buy a new tube of toothpaste, you put so much toothpaste on your toothbrush and if it falls off into the sink you're like Meh, whatever and you wash it down the sink but when you get down to like the very end of your toothpaste <laughs> you are literally doing anything you can and you will brush your teeth with like tiniest, the smallest tiniest bit, bit that comes out <laughs> and it's so true and that is literally what happens when we're running our business like we all spend the money that we make and we'll justify why we spent it. We'll justify growing into a bigger space or hiring a social media assistant or whatever. But sometimes we do it without really looking like if I do this, am I still being able to make a profit off of my business? Or am I just using the money that I think may come in (laughs) 
to do this thing? And have I tricked myself into thinking I need to do this thing to make more money? Yeah. And that's what I found was really interesting. So um, that is really interesting. One of the things that like, right? Yeah. Like the way our brains work, like it's almost like the opposite of scarcity, like scarcity mindset. It's like, it's like knowing that you already have your profit taken care of allows you to like run leaner and that's all you need. Like I think it would I imagine it would probably stop you from doing a lot of stupid things like getting a social media manager before you really need one and that kind of thing. Like right. you know, I don't know. Interesting. Okay. So my wheels are turning. I re- really like Tita. <laughs> I know. Exactly. So this is the thing. It's like the the whole actual process of it is I mean, it's boring. It's money shit. Like whatever you're gonna set up a couple bank accounts you're gonna move money around like buy the book follow the formula I really do think it will benefit you but what gets me is how much sense it makes when you just put it into really simple context and you know he he has so many analogies and he talks about diets like small plates using small plates um And like, if you eat your vegetables before you eat the mac and cheese, like you're going to naturally fill up on vegetables, you're not going to be as hungry, you're not going to feel like you need to eat like 12 servings of mac and cheese. That's the whole like model around small plates. And that was one of the things that gave him the idea of doing like, the whole profit first method of like, once your company is making money, you should be taking the profit out, setting it aside somewhere where you cannot see it, you're it's harder to access and seeing what's left. And if, you know, and there's a couple other things. So you you have to like go through the formula, but there's like a bucket for taxes and a bucket for owner's compensation and, and all that yeah. stuff. But the very last bucket is your operational expenses. And if you cannot pay your Tailwind subscription, your Flowdesk subscription, your Dubsado subscription, website renewal adobe your adobe your website renewal like if you cannot pay for all of those things with your operational expenses then you sure as shit shouldn't be hiring the social media manager and you shouldn't be moving into the more expensive space and these are all mistakes i have made 10 times over i can't tell you how many people i've hired for my business and then had to let go because months later i'm like i have no money yeah or i moved into saltbox months later i have no money it's like just because I wasn't, I was looking at the the overall money that I had, but I wasn't taking out all of the other buckets and then realizing how much I actually had to work with and making decisions from there, which those are always going to be smarter decisions and they're going to be leaner decisions. Like you don't necessarily need to, it, it actually might help you focus down. Like, you know, I'm closing a sector of my business this month and that was a really hard decision for me. But by closing that sector, I get to eliminate an additional website that I have to pay for, an additional um, e-commerce platform that I have to pay for, uh, an email hosting subscription thing, like all of this stuff, I get to close down and run my business leaner on the things that actually were making me more profits than that entire sector of my business was. So that... I actually made that decision before reading this book, but I was like, oh shit, that was actually like, if I had always been thinking that way, I probably would have made a lot better choices over the past four years and been set up a little bit better. And it, the thing is, it is, it is slow growth because you're not going to go. And if you're really looking at your numbers, you're not going to go and have like all of this lavish shit right out of the gate unless you have a VC or somebody investing in your business. Yeah. It's going to be slow growth. You're going to have a little bit of profit and you're going to be able to make a little bit of changes in your um business structure and that may increase your sales which will increase your profit and it all kind of like starts to feed into each other. Yeah. But if you're like, oh, I just got paid twelve hundred dollars for this like invoice, and then you're like, I'm gonna go spend nine hundred of it on this photographer to do these photos, but you didn't take out like any of the other things that yeah. you needed to take out of that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. In your mind, you 
I love like it's kind of like girl math. In your mind, you still have money, right? Twelve hundred <laughs> minus nine hundred is still having money. Yeah. But like, have you? I don't know. I'm asking you honestly because I have done this. Have you ever like done your accounting where you put in all your expenses? And you put in all of your revenue and then it comes out and it looks like you have like a pretty hefty profit, but then you literally have no idea where that money is. Yeah. So I, at the beginning of the year, like redid all of my financial like goals and I planned for some like, cause I was getting married this year, had some big expenses, obviously. Um, I redid like all my financial goals all the things I wanted to like make. And I used all of my recurring expenses for my business, like my rent for my studio space, um, maintenance for like my equipment, which is minimal, uh, all of my subscription services and everything. And then (laughs) if you've never actually done this, I highly recommend it because it will, if you're like me, (laughs) it will shock you a little bit how much it actually costs (laughs) to run your business every year without talking about materials and labor and cost of goods like that alone is huge i also have like restructured my pricing a little bit because i added in some different processing fees that i never accounted for before and those little things like that three percent will shift those numbers dramatically hopefully in your favor if you start accounting for that um but yeah, yeah i mean there's it seems so straightforward sometimes pricing, like sometimes pricing is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But then when you realize that that $1,200 job, your profit is probably only 300. <laughs> like, you know, it, when you consider if that, when if that. I also think that a big difference is when you're not actually paying yourself yet. Like when you're not right. paying yourself yet, you see every extra dollar as profit. But when you start actually paying yourself the labor or whatever you decide, like when you start actually paying yourself and then seeing what's actually left is profit, all of a sudden you're going to be like, yeah, no, I don't need that new piece of equipment quite yet. <laughs> yeah. Like it's. Yeah, I agree. I did something similar at the beginning of the year where I set up like I wanted to see which kind of jobs have like a higher profit value to them for yeah. me because I wanted to see like, do I need to streamline down to like a f- less offerings or just like switch what offerings or just focus more on one particular yeah. offering. And so I have this whole spreadsheet where um I have like the revenue that came in um for it minus the 3% or whatever it is that Stripe takes mm-hmm. so that I actually see cuz that's another thing you you have to really look at the money that you're getting. Yeah. And then from there, I deduct all of the expenses that went along with that project. And then from there, I divided it out into categories, you know, a certain percentage into taxes, a certain percentage to me as the laborer, and then a certain percentage to back into the business. And um, doing that kind of spreadsheet, like I, I said, when I asked is like, it looks like I should have so much money sitting in my bank account. Mm -hmm. But it is because I have all these things that are beyond just the expenses of the job. It's the operational expense of running the business. It's deciding to buy more equipment. It's like all of these little things that we do them in such small increments. So we look, we tend to look at our bank account and it has, let's say five or 6,000, you know, Let's just say we open up our bank account and it's got like $10,000 in there. We're not going to hesitate to buy a $100 thing that could print on ribbon (laughs) from Amazon (laughs) to complete a project a little bit faster or a little bit more conveniently because we're like, what's $100, right? We've got $10,000. What's $100? But if we took everything out of that main bank account, and broke it down into all the other bank accounts where we want to like squirrel money away, mm-hmm. you know, squirrel money away for the government because we owe them money, mm-hmm. squirrel money away for ourselves because we owe ourselves mm-hmm. money. We're doing all the hard work and then put money away for the business. Um, when you see what's left, that $10,000 may now actually be like a thousand, eleven hundred. And when you have $1,200, $100 is a lot. You are going to think about spending $100. Like you're just, you're going to be a little bit more 
like what's the word like in why can i think of the word it's because i'm 40 weeks pregnant, <laughs> but like what's the I, word think, when you're, I think you're just gonna look at it a little more solutions it's like ingenuity right is that uh, it? yeah i think so yeah so you have a bit more ingenuity when you have to be scrappy yeah and you may find an alternative to that $100 thing off Amazon, or you may realize that you actually don't really need it. Um, and and those are the kinds of decisions that we're talking about that can really impact your business. And it's not to say that you need to always be in this like scrappy hustle mindset. Yeah. Like that's not it at all. It's just if you're constantly thinking that you have Everything that your business has brought in, like all of that money is just like there for you to do whatever with, Mm -hmm. you're not going to spend it wisely. You're going to be a little bit more reckless with it. And when it comes to the end of the day, an accounting profit is not the same as an actual profit. Like your numbers may be in the black on the spreadsheet. But you might not be factoring in all of the other things that you've done. All those yearly and subscriptions and things that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Come directly out. Yeah. So, all that to say, um, you know, it it's a really interesting. I highly encourage anyone to read it if they feel like they're struggling, if they feel like they're on the hamster wheel. Listen, I'm not saying that there are people out there whose businesses aren't thriving on the gap method. I'm sure there are. It's that has been the number one way to run a business for all of time, basically. Um, so I'm sure there are people out there who are charging buco buccos and so they have it all figured out. But especially if you're just starting out, you're probably not charging five thousand dollars for your design fee. Yeah. <laughs> and you're probably, you know, still maybe only multiplying your cost of goods by two instead of two and a half or three. Like you're probably already living very close to the bottom line and you might just feel like you're stuck on the hamster wheel of having to book more jobs to pay bills and then you're tired and then you want to bring on help and. But you can't actually afford it and then you just dig yourself a deeper (laughs) little hole. Yeah. 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 He does this thing where he talks about how like. Sales and expenses can rise together, but sales can stop down and expenses will still keep rising. That's a good point. So it's like when you bring on more overhead, that overhead is just going to continue to exist whether or not you make sales. And if your sole purpose, like as the business owner, is just to go out and sell, 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 you're going to run yourself into the ground, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially as creatives. Like our thing is that we design or we print or, you know, it's not really in sales. Yeah. (laughs) Almost has nothing to do with sales. Yeah. And so that becomes a huge pain point for some of us is like booking enough jobs to meet the, the amount of money that we need to meet to be able to have this be a sustainable career, you know, so that we don't have to have another job or so that we could provide for our families or so we could just feel fulfilled financially because that's also very important. Yeah. Just like the basic principle of feeling fulfilled as a human. Like being able to take a vacation I I like and take time off. And I don't bring in money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, hopefully some of you who are listening are like, this is all obvious stuff, you guys. <laughs> but um, you know, I have to give a little bit of a shout out to Honeybook right now because I um they are testing a finance feature on Honeybook right now. It's in beta, so they're I think planning to launch in like at the end of the year, early next year. But they have a finance option that um includes like a business checking account essentially. And what I love and you may find a replication of this in your own checking account depending on your bank, but there is a bucket feature where you can automatically send either a dollar amount or a percentage amount of every payment you get to these buckets. And you can create multiple buckets of whatever you want them to be. Um, and so, yeah. you know, you have a taxes bucket, you have a materials or an operation expenses budget bucket, and every payment I get funds automatically go straight into that. For me, it's out of sight, out of mind. That's my squirreling away, right? Like I've already forgotten that that tax money is there until tax time comes and I'll be like, oh, no problem. I'll pay my tax bill right out of this bucket and 
easy peasy. It's all right there for me. And if I forget it's there, it's no longer a part of my mental balance. You know, it's not part of like what I know I have liquid. It's, it's gone. It's out of sight, out of mind, and it's going to just sit there until I need it, which is great. Um, And also I, as far as tracking your expenses, I think a lot of this profitability comes down to really knowing and understanding what your business costs you. And I, on my production sheets for like letterpress jobs that I do, whether it's for a client or B2B or whatever it is, I track any expenses. So like when I order plates, I jot down how much it costs. When I order paper that's specific, Mm -hmm. I jot down what it costs. If I go buy paper, whatever it is, like and then I track my hours of how how long it took me to cut that paper down. How long did it take me to mix the ink, to set up the press, to print the thing, to quality check, to package it. All of that stuff gets jotted down on my production sheet. And then I can enter that all in. And you can actually enter those even without the beta finance feature. In HoneyBook, you can actually track a lot of those expenses. You have to manually input them. But you could just do a sum if you wanted to or like do labor and materials and summarize those, um, which is... I think super helpful because then you get an overview in HoneyBook of your profit versus expenses for that project. Um, Obviously, that doesn't necessarily include your yearly expenses, but you can add the yearly expenses in as like a lump sum. So you could put like your Adobe Creative Suite X amount of dollars per year, and then your year to date profit versus expenses will be accurate. So even if you don't use another accounting software, there is a little bit of that capability in HoneyBook. Um, It wouldn't really be reliable for like tax purposes. So I wouldn't say like, you know, this is going to cancel out your QuickBooks subscription. But HoneyBook is pretty amazing for having some really in-depth options for tracking that kind of stuff. Um, So I've been really happy with that. And their new finance like beta feature is pretty phenomenal. So pretty pretty stoked on that one. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And if... um... If you're listening and you're already, you know, pretty married to any other CRM system like Dubsado or any of the other ones, um, you know, this, the writer of this book, Mike, he has, he really walks you through the entire execution of how to set this up for your business. It's really just moving money around. And nowadays that could be completely automated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's even like, he t- references it several times but there's a link on his website that takes you to a specific bank that is really easy to open multiple checking accounts in and set up you know transfers of money and so if you wanted to do this process and you wanted to like follow his guidelines I just I highly recommend I thought the audiobook was really great there are a lot of graphs um but he does offer them as a free download off his website. So you could download the graphs. You you don't miss out by buying the audiobook. Um, I actually kind of like that because then it seemed more like a workbook. Like all the graphs yeah. were like condensed into one PDF, um, a single PDF, <laughs> yeah. which is really nice. So yeah, that's basically profit first in a nutshell. It's just a different way of setting up your finances. It's a different way of looking at your business and thinking about the profits thinking about them first instead of last and (laughs) it's it's kind of freaking brilliant I'm not gonna lie I mean yeah it seems like a no-brainer but every single one of us has done the same thing where the first thing we subtract out of our revenue is the expenses Mm -hmm. and um yeah if we just want to start thinking about you know growing the business and having money for ourselves, then we need to really be looking at prioritizing that first yeah, and figuring out how to get our business to run off of the money that is left. Yeah. And that's just, I think, I think this book would be really helpful if you're in uh, an expansion time. Like if you're looking to grow your business and expand by whether it's bringing on more people or, um, you know, new equipment, things like that. If you're looking at making any kind of overhead uh, purchases or decisions, I think it'd be really valuable to like look at your business from this different sort of angle um, and -hmm. really see where you're at before you take that step. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're just starting out, just start from from scratch with this good idea. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I do think that everyone could benefit from yeah approaching business this way, but I agree with you that one of the key analysis 
features that you should look at of your business if you're thinking about growing is not just like, could you afford it this month? But can you afford it three months from now? Yeah. Could you afford it if all of a sudden half of your sales was missing? Yeah. Um, Because I think that's kind of what always got me into trouble is, you know, something would happen, whether sales would increase or um, like I got approved for the small business assistance during the pandemic and I would make choices from there of like, oh, well, I have the money right now to do X, Y, Z. And then, you know, I lost like a really steady monthly contract with a client that was covering half of my rent. So like now half of my rent that like I wasn't really factoring at the beginning is no longer there and I have to make up for it. And it's always like easier said than done, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because uh, when you're a solopreneur, at a certain point in time, you only have so much time. Yeah. And there's not more time to take on more projects. And yes, you could increase your prices, but you've also maybe sent out pricing guides to people and they've already booked jobs with you at like this certain rate. And you don't want to just like randomly increase it in the middle of the year because you lost one client. You want to like, you know, give them a heads up and give them some time. And there's just a lot of little things that kind of happen that, um, I think had I always been looking at my business from this perspective of removing the money that doesn't necessarily belong there for operational expenses. Yeah, for sure. And then making operational decisions based off of what's left. Yeah. Yeah. Because the money's always there. I just fucking spend it. <laughs> I know. Dude, I'm not going to lie. Like, the- And I usually spend it on operational. I'm like, oh, I'll sign up for this and then I'll do this social media thing and then I'll do this thing. Yeah. And like, I don't do any of it because I don't have time because I'm a freaking one woman operation over here. I do every single thing. Just, you know, like so many of our listeners like you do, like we're one person. We do all the things. So no, we don't have time to go and like, yeah draft up 300 photos to send to your social media manager yeah i (laughs) i know yeah i barely that was one of the worst realizations when i hired a social media manager and then realized i still have to give them content yeah it's like it's not like they're gonna come into my home and take we need someone to do the content not the actual social media management that's like the hardest part is literally just like please take photos of all this stuff for me yeah, I um I think for me it's like having my money dedicated and out of sight is the most valuable thing that I can yeah. do for myself. <laughs> Just like yes. having those little yeah. buckets and having it be gone from my head. Like I don't know that it's there anymore. It's I forgot all about it. And then being like, no. oh yeah, that's already saved for. Excellent. Like that is for me made a huge difference and like eased so much of my stress. Um but yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, I can't wait to buy Profit First and read that. Um, That's next on my to-be-read list for this month. I know. I hope everyone gets the Graphic Artist uh, Guild handbook, and then they can, number one, set up their pricing structure right and tight, Mm -hmm. and then, number two, go set up all their bank accounts so they can squirrel away money. Yeah. Um, And then we'll all be thriving in 2024. Whoop, whoop. Can't wait. (laughs) Yeah. I'm stoked. I, okay. I know that there's going to be another episode coming out after this one. Um, and I'm really excited for that. We have Val Lucas on from Bauer Box Press and she's just talking all things so type. Amazing. Talking all things type. We recorded that episode a little while ago, but it was so good that we decided to put it at the end of the season. Um, but I do just want to say that. We're going to take a little bit of a break after that. Um, I'm going to go on maternity leave. Mariah's going to make some, possibly some pretty big changes as well. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a very exciting end of 2023 for us in our personal lives. And then we will be back at the beginning of next year to talk all about letterpress yes i can't believe that that this season and this year is already like getting to the end um i know three months until next year which is insane 
Um, also, if anyone is listening and you're going to be in Los Angeles around the 21st to 22nd of October, I am going to be at the uh, Print Museum in Los Angeles in Carson, California, technically, um, doing the Printer's Fair. Hot Off the Press is going to have a booth just like we did last year. And we're going to have a special guest, my mom. She's coming to help Yay, me with the fair because Linda. Jillian's going to be, uh, she's going to have her hands busy with her new babe. So um, if you're going to be in Los Angeles uh, around the 22nd and 21st, 21st and 22nd of October. Um, we would love to see you there. You can purchase tickets at the International Print Museum's website, and we will link that in the show notes and share on social media, of course, as well. Um, but yeah, it's a really fun event with a ton of different letterpress vendors. So whether you want to buy type or a little tiny press or a big press, um, or if you want to just get some really cool prints and art from other vendors, um, it's going to be really fun. And we had a blast last year. So very much looking forward to that um, in just a couple of weeks. Yay! Yay. I'm so excited. Y'all, the Printer's Fair is so great. If you are anywhere close, come on down. And if you're not close, I'm just saying October is the best month in Los Angeles. Our weather is gorgeous. It is so nice. Carson is not far from the beach, so you can get a little beach time in. You could come see all the amazing equipment at the Print Museum. Um, it's also the same weekend that uh, Taylor Swift's movie is playing in movie theaters. No, it's the weekend <laughs> after. It Does it end on the 20th? Oh, I don't know. But it comes out no. the 13th. It comes out the 13th, but it's still, oh, I'm it's going still... to see it on the 19th. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It's like a movie. It's in theaters. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm seeing yeah. it on the 14th, so I'm going to see it before you. That's crazy. <laughs> I know, I know. I didn't, <laughs> I don't know when this baby's coming and I'm not yeah. going to risk. <laughs> now you're looking at it like that was like, probably smart. <laughs> yeah, because if this I rate. wait for my induction, I'm not being induced until the 9th. So, so there's no way four days postpartum I'm going to be sitting in a movie theater. Without Mars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. so that's not going to happen. So anyway, seeing it on the 19th, but. Oh, yes. We have some great movie theaters very close <laughs> to the print museum. So you could squeeze in all of the fun Perfect. things. Perfect. Um, yeah. So come on into town. And we love you guys. And keep an ear out for our episode next week with Val. And then we will see you in the new year. Crazy. Oh, my God. Oh, I love all it. Right. All right. Bye. Bye.